Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Welcome to High Trust Today, the podcast. I'm on a quest to help people win in business and in life. To do that, I know they must trust themselves, their relationships, their business, and they most certainly must trust their future. When you do that, you set in motion a universe of possibilities, and that journey begins right now. It is an honor, and I say that from the deepest part of my soul, uh, to welcome to our stage Captain Sean Parnell, retired. Oh my gosh, thank you all so much for that wonderful reception. It means so much. I, uh, look, I want to take a minute to recognize my men, uh, the outlaws, my platoon. Um, they took the time to teach, coach, and mentor me every step of the way. I was just a young kid, didn't know anything about the Army, and they dedicated their lives to making sure I was squared away. And we're blessed because we have an outlaw, a non-commissioned officer who spent 13 years in the Army, wounded, decorated for heroism in battle here with us today. His name's Staff Sergeant Gordon Campbell. He's here somewhere. Stand up and be recognized. Thank you. Thank you for all you did for me. So we all have a moment in our lives where we come face to face with something that defines who we are, whether it be professionally, personally, and that moment can literally change the course of your life. And for, that, and for me, that was May 7, 2006. Our platoon was tasked with just a routine patrol with the Afghan National Army. Our job was to basically go in that no man's land between Afghanistan and Pakistan and root out Taliban insurgents who were torturing and killing children and civilians in the area. We drove back behind the mountains and instantaneously, and I mean instantaneously, were attacked by a force that outnumbered us nearly five to one. It was my first time in combat, my first time under fire. Um, The Afghan National Army was in front of us. We had this sheer cliff right to our left and a steep drop-off canyon right to our right, and the enemy had three machine guns each perched on those mountaintops surrounding us, and they just rained down fire. And as soon as the ambush started, and they had us caught in their kill, in their kill zone, the Afghan National Army just disappeared. It was like somebody went up and hit a beehive with a stick, bees just going everywhere. So we couldn't drive forward through the ambush, we couldn't back up, I couldn't call the fob because of the sheer cliff face right to my left, we couldn't assault through the ambush either because there was a canyon. And for me as a leader, I was sitting there in the truck, and I thought about three things that day. One of, one of which was a Spartan king, Leonidas, who said that Spartan kings serve their men, not the other way around. They're the first to get up and the last to sit down. Next thing I thought about was a quote by Teddy Roosevelt. And he said, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing you can do is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing at all. And the last thought I had as a rocket-propelled grenade slammed into the side of our truck, truck lurched up on its side, uh, bullets splintered the windshield, I had glass come hit me in the eye, cut me, uh, was the men in green suits, soldiers, coming to my parents' door to notify them 
that their son had been killed in combat. I looked at my driver, and he looked at me and said, sir, what are we going to do? And I, and I heard on radio people screaming, hey, sir, you've got to make a decision. You've got to do it now, or we're going to be overrun. And look, ladies and gentlemen, I wasn't cut out for this moment, okay? At least initially, I didn't. I, look, you're talking to a guy who brought hair gel and a blow dryer to basic training, okay? <laughs> I, this is not something that I thought that I was born to do. So I'm sitting there in the truck. I'm on the radio. My men are screaming at me to make a decision. It was like, it's kind of like, you know, when you're on an important phone call with your boss and you're trying to make a pivotal decision that has ramification that could affect the company years down the line and both of your kids are pulling on your pant legs going, daddy, 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 daddy. It was like that, only with somebody firing a machine gun at you. So I'm there in my truck trying to make a decision, thinking about soldiers notifying my parents. I looked at my, my driver and I said, Rob, I'm getting out of the truck. He looked at me, he's like, you're crazy, you can't. And I slammed the door in his face. I got out of the truck, rifle in one hand, radio in the other, and I thought to myself, shut the front door, I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> I, I, it was, you know, combat in a moment like that, in all seriousness, kaleidoscopes around you. The moment I got out of the truck, I stood there, a rocket propelled grenade had hit the ground right in front of me. Uh, burned the hairs on my arm, burned my eyebrow, and I use, I say that singular because I have one eyebrow. Um, <laughs> machine gun fire was landing all around me. I had a sniper shooting at me that was, I looked later in my uniform, there were bullet holes in my uniform, bullet holes in my pants leg, and the only thing I thought was, you've got to run. You've got to move now or you're going to be dead. So I started to run up the hill as best I could to try to get the Afghan National Army back into their trucks and through the kill zone to the top of the hill. That's the only thing, that's the only, that's the only card I had. So I started running. And in Afghanistan, everything is at 10,000 feet. Everything. So I'm running up the hill. My legs are just aching. We're 90 pounds of gear. The explosions and the cordite from the rounds are burning my eyes and stinging my nostrils. My lungs are on fire. And I run up past uh, my lead truck. And as I'm running, a rocket-propelled grenade hits it. And I thought that everybody in the truck was dead. Uh, the truck kind of blew up in the air, landed on the ground. And I thought, oh my gosh, I just lost five of my guys. So I kept running as best I could up to the truck. I looked in, and to my astonishment, there were my men alive in the truck. And all I did was slam on the door. And honest to God, I just remember thinking, ah, never, lesson learned, never slam your hand on an armored truck. Um, but I slammed it on his window nonetheless, and I just kept running as fast as I could. And I, I remember thinking as I was running up the hill, about to give up, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what are my guys going to think of me? Are they going to follow me? You know, because I never gave them an order. Um, and I remember looking back just as I was about to give up because it was a steep hill. I remember looking back, and I saw my squad leader in the truck that was blown up dismounted and following me. I saw his team leader dismounting and following me. And behind him, there was a trail of 24 members of Outlaw Platoon in the kill zone, braving heavy enemy fire to follow me up that hill. We got to the top of the hill, and within seconds, my men didn't need any guidance from me. They just set to work. And Sergeant Campbell, who's here in this audience today, came up to me. He gets down, he goes, he looks at me, 
with a big smile on his face, he goes, sir, you're absolutely crazy. And I said, I don't know, okay. Uh, and he goes, look at this, I got bullets through my assault pack. He was carrying 60 millimeter mortar explosive rounds in his assault pack. He had rounds penetrating his assault pack as he's running up the hill following me. I mean, that's how close we were to being killed. Um, but my men immediately set to work. Sergeant Campbell took his squad, immediately charged a enemy machine gun nest, and the rest of my men did the same thing. I witnessed the most unbelievable acts of heroism by my men that day. Later, we got back on the FOB after the outlaw platoon had won our very first victory in the face of just horrifying odds. Remember walking into the DFAC and all of my men were sitting there uh, eating quietly because we had just survived death. And all four of my squad leaders walked up to me and they surrounded me and I'm like, oh crap, this isn't gonna be good. You know, this is the moment where they're gonna slap me down. Um, and one of them slapped me right on the shoulder and he said, sir, good job. And my men started clapping. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the, uh, probably one of the best moments of my life. And later that night, I got back to my room. I had kept a, I had kept a journal, a combat journal. And everybody gives me problems with it. It wasn't a diary, okay? Rangers don't keep diaries. I kept a journal. And I tried to analyze some of the leadership. I tried to say, okay, what worked, what didn't? You know, what, can I t what was successful? What can I take forward from here to implement in the future uh, to make my platoon a better fighting force? And so I started writing. And so when I, I thought about, when I climbed out of that Humvee, and I began running forward up that hill, I did it for one reason and one reason only, for my guys. They were the only thought in my head. And if I had time to actually deliberate that decision, think about it, I probably would have never gotten out of the truck because technically, according to Army doctrine, I should have stayed in the truck anyway, talked on the radio, and fought the fight from there. But look, there are times in life where you just can't do what's expected or what's established. Some situations demand a moment of action, a flash of inspiration that demonstrates your commitment to those around you. And on May 7th, I knew that if we didn't get out of the kill zone quickly, I would die and the men around me would die and I would be damned if I was gonna sit there and watch my men go down around me. Just wasn't gonna let that happen. And so the best leaders I encountered in the Army were the ones who understood that their troops were not there to serve them. But they, as their leader, they realized that they were there to serve their troops. You know, you show that devotion, you show that sense of commitment to those under your direct supervision, and they will respond. Demonstrate that you have their best interests at heart all the time, every day, and they'll give you their trust. But to do that, you gotta set the example. And on, on a May 7th, I ran up that hill under fire to get that Afghan element out of the way. And to my absolute astonishment, my platoon followed me. And that moment was a pivotal one for me because like I said earlier, I didn't order them to follow me. Nobody told them to dismount in a fury of gunfire, mortar and machine gun fire. Uh, they did so because they saw me. I like to believe because they saw me risking my life to get them to safety. 
my men didn't want me to have to go through that alone, you know? And so after that, I did everything I could to prove to my men that I would always be there to serve them, no matter what. And here at home, I've seen managers lead from the rear. They, they show up late, they leave early, they take long lunches. I'm telling you, that demotivates their people. And then their team starts to mimic those habits. So you wanna, you wanna get out there and you wanna inspire your troops. Be the one who steps in. It does some of the grunt work from time to time. Be the one who's first in the office and last out the door. That sets the tone for the team's commitment. Show them, show them that you care about them and their families. Show them that you'll fight for them. Show them that you're loyal to them. Show them that and they'll give you their own loyalty in return. Never take that loyalty for granted because loyalty is a two-way street, right? It's a trust that can only be maintained if both a leader and a team member uphold it. It's a sacred trust. You see, a good leader inspires his team with his example, but a great leader, the best, draw inspiration from their people. I learned that during my first firefight. And as I ran up that hill, I started to second guess my decision as I talked to you guys about it. As I doubted myself, I saw my platoon running up the hill for me. They had my back. And the sight of that, knowing that they were there for me, that they had my back, filled me with so much inspiration it's hard to describe in words. And that inspiration got me to the top of the hill. I, like I told you, I witnessed my men doing unbelievable, demonstrating unbelievable acts of courage and heroism. And each one of those, large and small, fed that inspiration that I was drawing from them. It drove me to be better for them. And I think that their example made me a better leader because good leaders inspire their men, but great men inspire their leaders. And again, all too often I see managers back here at home trying to motivate themselves with quotes. They have the big motivational quotes on the wall or posters or those calendars with the little quotes or they, they, they watch sports. You know, they find role models and athletes, which is great, or they watch TV or movies and they look for inspiration everywhere. But does that, does that really work? See, for me, in my experience, inspiration is ephemeral, right? And it can't be manufactured without human emotion. And so the best way to look for inspiration is to find it among the people that are around you. Find the examples within your team. You know, how about the father who worked a 16-hour day, knocked out a big project, and made it home just in the nick of time to see his little girl play a soccer game. That's a level of devotion to company and family that should be celebrated, that needs to be celebrated. Or the single mom, maybe, that conceives a new product, new idea that maybe will help the company down the line, develops a proposal to talk to her boss. She does all this after she puts her kids to sleep at night. There's inspiration there for both the leader and the team. Find those people. Build your team with hearts like those. Elevate and acknowledge those who sacrifice and innovate.
Because there is no more powerful inspiration in this world than the person in the cubicle next to you. Setting an example, finding inspiration for the team are two key components that were critical to me on May 7, 2006. But they don't mean anything if a leader doesn't understand equations of power and relationships between subordinates and a manager. And all too often I'm telling you, you see the guys that are like, hey, just get it done, I'm in charge, or don't question me, or they strut around with that I'm the boss persona. And I'm telling you, these are the kind of people, and we all know them, that are constantly reminding you that they're in charge. And I got news for you. You have to tell somebody that you're in charge, you're not. <laughs> and in the Army, most of the time, those leaders fail because they never understood the power dynamics of servant leadership. And because of that, tragically, they lost people in combat. Lives depended on that. See, power isn't something that can be seized tangibly or used as a blunt force instrument. It doesn't work in the military and it doesn't work here at home. See, I believe that the mandate to have true power to lead comes directly from the hearts and minds of the team. And that they give that gift of trust to a leader they know will fight for them and always be for them, always have their best interests at heart. The best leaders I saw in the Army were the ones who protected that power when it was given and then took it another step and reinvested it back into their people to do great things. And they used that power to build trust and loyalty. Investing in the relationship between leader and team became another source of inspiration for me. That did the dynamic, the dynamic that grew from that, the dynamic that grew from that loyalty made Outlaw Platoon great and will make any team great. And you see, in the best cases, leadership by example, inspiration and investment led to a cycle that built upon itself. And it elevated our entire platoon and turned us in to an unstoppable force. Our team fought as one. We trusted each other. We sacrificed for each other. We drew inspiration from the acts of selfless bravery we witnessed in the most desperate situations. And in the end, Ladies and gentlemen, in the end, it was the enemy that failed. And they learned that Outlaw Platoon would never cede ground to them. We'd never leave a fight. We would always be that unstoppable force, totally committed to their destruction, no matter the odds, no matter the situation. And after 485 days of battle, it was Outlaw Platoon that they feared. So listen. Go be great. There's no point at aiming for mediocrity in life because I guarantee you if that's all you're aiming at, that's all you'll ever hit. There's no prize for maintaining the minimum standard. But in every endeavor that you encounter, greatness awaits. It's there. The tough times, if you ever encounter tough times, and I guarantee you, you will, don't sweat it. Because tough times don't last. Tough people do. So seize it. Lead from the front. Draw inspiration from the people around you. Go forward with a team, unified in purpose, bound by trust, empowered by mutual loyalty. If you do that, if you do that, there's no limit to what anybody in this room can achieve. If you ever start doubting yourself, always remember that every single champion was once a contender that chose to never give up, always lead the way. 
So thank you so much for your time. God bless you. God bless America.